listening to the David Raffin Podcast, a presentation of davidraffin.com. That was a clip from the Scott Stephen Erickson album, Adaptions to a Modern Age. By the way, I sing in the background on that album, way, way in the back. Also, I should mention here that I'm available to sing on albums, and you can buy that one from the link on my weblog at davidraffin.com, which will redirect you to Bandcamp in a very convenient way. In the spirit of history, I offer two pieces from the past, one about Barack Obama, one about George W. Bush. Obama's Old Hat President Obama, honored with a Nobel Peace Prize while fighting two wars, appeared to accept his prize. His speech was in some ways a departure from the past, but in others, it was old hat. The president stood behind the podium and the microphones, his demeanor professional and dignified. He paused for a moment, taking in the occasion and the feel of the room. Then he leaned forward into the mic and spoke. My wife is so fat, he began. There was a moment of awkward silence. Finally, the air was broken by a Swedish dignitary in the audience, hesitantly at first, but then becoming more bold as he spoke. How fat is she? Obama, replying immediately to Q, replied, She's so fat, when she sits around the house, she really sits around the house. There was another pause filled with uncomfortable silence. Obama continued, Thank you, ladies and germs. The crowd sat quietly, staring at him. Seriously, though, it's an honor to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. I flew here from Washington, D.C., and boy are my arms tired. The silence was broken by a rim shot from offstage. There were scattered coughs and throat clearings. One Swedish diplomat turned to another and whispered, I warned you, the U.S. hasn't refreshed their joke book in years. It is a disaster said another, but I can't look away. Excerpts from the Bush Memoir A Look Inside the Mind of a Chief Executive Soon after I took office, we were faced with challenges peculiar to the office of president. Here we were, right off the bat, on day one, having to face difficult issues. Thankfully, I had brought with me to the Oval Office our nation's best and brightest, my advisors were even more knowledgeable than myself, and were able to provide me, the president, with expertise on whatever issue was on the table. Our first issue, which we dealt with, was one that had plagued the campaign trail and this nation as well. I'm speaking, of course, about the homosexual problem. Here this nation needed decisive leadership, and I gathered my advisors to help provide it. Our first topic of discussion was a man named Osama bin Laden. It seems a letter regarding Mr. Laden had been left by the outgoing administration. I inquired to my right-hand man, Carl, whether Mr. Laden was a homosexual. I was informed he was not. I asked whether, regarding Mr. Laden's orientation, he was an appropriate subject for presidential scrutiny. I was informed he was not. Hindsight is a difficult challenge. I wish we knew then what we know today. Osama bin Laden's sexual orientation is, in fact, questionable. We simply do not know. We could have acted more decisively and formed an exploration committee. September 11, 2001, was a terrible day for the presidency. 
I will remember the moment the urgency sank in. I was on Air Force One. I was at a loss. I asked Carl, how... How, how could the homosexuals have done this to us? He replied, We do not know. We just do not know. One thing's for sure, they didn't do it alone. Who else could have been involved, I asked. The ACLU? Perhaps, said Carl. I'm afraid it's just too early to speculate. Maybe them. Maybe the feminists. Hell, maybe all three. It's just too soon to say. We have to be careful. Remember what happened to Richard Jewell. Was he a homosexual, I asked? We don't know, was the reply. He was never properly investigated. All we know is that he wasn't involved in the Olympic bombing, and that's all we know. It was a terrible time to be president. Matters of urgency were constantly arising, yet still I was burdened with a legacy of poor fundamental research left to me by the previous administration. As our poll numbers fell, we tried to focus on the positive. We took decisive action. Carl suggested that we hire a plant, a man we could count on, to sit in the press corps during presidential briefings. He would ask leading questions about our administration's decisiveness and triumph over difficult conditions. I asked where we could find such a man. I was told there were places where you could hire a man to do just about anything that was required, sort of jack-of-all-trades. I was told these men were called escorts. I thought escort was a fancy name for prostitute, I said. It is, said Carl, but that doesn't mean you have to hire them for sex. Oftentimes you can just hire a man to listen. It stands to reason you can also hire a man to ask questions, the kind of questions that you want asked. If you have questions that you want asked, you are better off paying a man to ask them. That way you know what you're getting. Well, I said, it sounds good, but aren't these men homosexuals? Not necessarily, said Carl. Sometimes they're simply gay for pay. I've never heard of that, I said. In essence, said Carl, it's simply the offering of goods and or services in exchange for money. But that's capitalism, I exclaimed. Exactly, said Carl. The very basis of our economic system and way of life. Could we hire one of them to be the head of FEMA? I asked. I really think we should hire someone with slightly better qualifications, said Carl. I still can't believe I won re-election. It's a triumph of the spirit, a victory over the three-pronged forces of the axis of evil, the homosexuals, the feminists, and the ACLU. Americans have spoken clearly. Four more years. Four more years, a mandate, and a big chocolate cake sent to me by every large oil company. They all chipped in. All in all, while I like chocolate cake, I thought it was a chintzy gift. When news broke of trouble on the Gulf Coast, I was as surprised as anyone. After it had been going on for a while, and it appeared the hurricane thing was not going to just blow over, I even cut my vacation short to address the seriousness of the issue. When I got back to Washington, I found Carl had taken decisive command of the situation. He was sometimes answering two phones at once, a feat which impressed me as much as anything I have ever seen him do. He was taking copious notes and had drawn graphs and diagrams directly onto the walls of the Oval Office. He had that kind of take-charge attitude I look for in a subordinate. Knowledgeable. Full of fire. A man to be reckoned with. When I walked in, I could hear him on the phone asking, how many homosexuals were involved? With the planning, I mean. I then knew things were even worse than I had suspected. When he was off the phone, I asked him, 
how many homosexuals were involved. We just don't know, he said. Maybe all of them. Maybe this is it. Our worst case scenario. All of them? I asked. I was astounded. Six thousand homosexuals acting together against us? I wouldn't put it past them, Carl said. What about Brownie? I asked. I'm sure he's doing the best he can, Carl said. This I was sure of. Brownie has always done a heck of a job. A real heck of a job. I only had one question. How did they make it rain? I asked. How do they do anything? Carl said. It's an abomination. The Prince of Saudi Arabia visited the White House. I spent a lot of time with him. My advisors informed me that their ways differ from ours. They have a completely different language. They view the world differently, too. I asked if they behave differently because of the different way they view the world. Condoleezza said it was a puzzler. I never did get an answer. I guess no one knows. When the prince was here, I was told I should observe some of their ways. To this end, I often held his hand in public and frequently kissed him on the cheek. Three times. One, two, three. I also prayed toward Mecca five times a day. Carl said it was okay if I prayed to Jesus. I figure he is also in Mecca. Carl has not stopped laughing at me since. Iranian President Mahomad Adinejad visited the United States. While he was here, he spoke at Columbia University and received a lot of press. While it has always been our position in the executive office that the Iranians are wild-eyed extremists, I must admit he made a number of good points. He, as I, is a firm believer in capital punishment. He also is aware acutely of the homosexual problem. However, he lost me when he claimed Iran had no homosexuals. How can this be, I asked Carl. Does he know something we don't? I think he's playing some sort of a definitional game, said Carl. Still, you've got to look into it, I said. We will, said Carl. It's now at the very top of our priority list. As it should be, I said. I cannot believe we lost this election. I guess it makes a difference who's running. I guess people won't just vote for any Republican. I guess the name Bush still has staying power. We've done a lot and we've also had accomplishments. My place in history is, at last, assured. You've been listening to the David Raffin Podcast, a presentation of davidraffin.com. And in case you're wondering, yes, the Bush administration did hire a male escort to sit and ask questions during press briefings. In fact, everything in both of those stories is true, every word but especially the male escort thing. I don't ordinarily do topical material, but when I do, rest assured, you're getting exactly what I think. As always, you may visit davidraffin.com to download free samples, buy books, and book me for children's parties or funerals. 